0: This is Minister in the Making, a podcast for church people, from the ones who stand in the pulpit every Sunday to the ones who hide on the back pew around Christmas time. The mission of this podcast is to give church people a behind-the-scenes, inside look at life in Christian ministry. I'm your host, B.T. Irwin, and your guide is my dad, Travis Irwin, who shares the stories and wisdom he got from 50 years in full-time church work. As a Christian minister who has lived among Christian ministers since I was born, I noticed something sad, scary, and strange. Christian congregations look to their ministers and pastors to model and teach spiritual health and strength. And yet many times, these ministers and pastors become some of the most spiritually unhealthy and spiritually weak people in their congregations. By the late 1990s and almost 25 years into his ministry, dad was at the top of his ministry game. His congregation, the Steel Avenue Church of Christ in Ashland, Ohio, was bursting at the seams and starting a building campaign. Dad's ministries were multiplying and he was bringing more and more people to Christ. But even as dad looked like he was bearing fruit, he knew a secret. He was neither spiritually healthy nor spiritually strong. He was just going through the motions. Even as he worked nonstop to fan into flame the spiritual life of his congregation, Dad had no spiritual life of his own. His flame was out. He was smoldering into a pile of ash. How did this happen? What choices did Dad make that led him into this spiritual coma? This is Minister in the Making, episode number 29, Healer, Heal Thyself. How you doing today, Dad?
1: Having a good day. It's a great day. One good. of my favorite days. Um,
0: yeah, today, uh, the day that we're recording this is Sunday, December 19, and so that is one day after you got together for Christmas with your mom and uh, several of your family members on your
1: side, right? Yeah, got together with my mom and my sister's family. And of course, uh, uh, Dave, your brother-in-law Dave came over. Uh, Your sister Michelle was working or sleeping, literally. And then uh, Bethy, uh, your baby sister, brought the baby uh, Emmy Ruth along with Mark a good time it was great it was great had a wonderful time early good Christmas food, good Good fellowship
0: yeah early Christmas so um are you gonna uh, are you are you gonna have another Christmas celebration on the 25th I know we won't be there you gonna we get have together one, again
1: well we have one on the 24th but you won't be here Grandma's uh, grandmama's yeah. coming to that one oh good another grandmother and of course. Beth and her family and Michelle and her family will be there this Friday. And Grandmama will be there. And then Saturday, we'll carve out some time for to go see Grandmama and give her her gift. We have a special gift. I won't say what it is here. And then uh, we'll go that afternoon, I guess, or something. We have, we have to work all the details out. We'll go see Mamaw and take her a gift. And that will, that's pretty much our Christmas of course, your mother and I will we'll exchange some gifts somewhere in there, probably probably Saturday morning. We uh, decorated the tree this afternoon. So the tree looks really good. I'll send you a picture of that after we get done. So, I mean, it looks like Christmas around here now. We have a lot of, a lot of preparation before Friday.
0: Sounds good. Saturday. Do you have chemo tomorrow?
1: We have, do we you have get chemo the, tomorrow, yes.
0: You do have chemo, so you don't get the week off. But We're at least it's tomorrow
1: morning. I don't get a yeah. I don't get a day off until well I get I get the day off next Monday, which is the twenty seventh. But I have to go back Tuesday, the twenty eighth. Okay, that's the that's the day off. Everybody gets at the hospital twenty seventh for for yeah. Christmas, quote, unquote
0: How are the uh, treatments coming? You're you just found out that you're going to extend your uh, chemo treatments another six weeks.
1: Six weeks through January twenty fourth. Definitely. And January 24th, have a CT scan before I get my treatment on that on that Monday. That CT is the one that tells me whether these uh, nodules or these tumors rather, are growing or not. Mm-hmm. Last time they were growing a little bit. And so they're going to get you back on schedule. See what happens. Yeah. See if it, and if they're if they're being reduced, great. Fantastic. If they're not being reduced, uh, we may have to go do something different. So yeah. We'll wait and see. Yeah. I appreciate all the prayers and concern.
0: If they stay the same size, does that mean that the chemo is at least keeping things from progressing? And would they then continue chemo as a, a maintenance treatment for you?
1: Well, I think it's got, I think it's got to do more than just maintain their size. I think it has to shrink them. Okay. It has, it has to show some kind of improvement. Then, um, uh, if it, if it, if chemo never, if chemo no longer works, that's then that's when you stop chemo.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Chemo, chemo works for a while and it stops working. We just That's just something we understand. There's a lot of trials. And there's a lot of different chemos that can be used. That doesn't mean I can handle them, but we'll, you know, we'll cross the bridge if we have to and when we have to.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, I know, as you said, a lot of people are keeping you in their prayers as as we are and uh, I'm glad you're keeping us up to date on uh, Caring bridge I always share that link so people can get the news from you uh, directly
1: really
0: I uh, I'm thankful for the health update uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about spiritual health all right good that's my little transition and um, I was I was trying to figure out how to ask you about spiritual health because Um, and maybe you can help me with this because if you go to the doctor every year for a checkup, which I do, and you have done for a long time, uh, there's certain things, you know, that a doctor checks, you know, your weight, your blood pressure, your body mass, your, you know, your heart rate, uh, you know, you do a blood test and get blood work done, cholesterol, uh, blood sugar. Uh, if you're a man over the age of 45, you have a, a, a colonoscopy or, you know, like, um, you know, had to start doing that this year. And then you get a report from the doctor with all of your vital information. And the doctor tells you, hey, you know, you're looking pretty good here. You might want to lay off the sugar. Your blood sugar is kind of high or your cholesterol is a little high or, you know, you might want to work on that weight. And so those numbers make it easy for us to know if we're healthy enough or if we need to make some changes to get healthier. So that's that's relatively easy. But when we talk about spiritual health, so Christians um, understand that when we talk about spiritual health, we're talking about inner health uh, or uh, the the relation between our spirit? How strong is our relationship uh, with God? And that's what we mean by spiritual health. So how do you measure that? Like, how do you give yourself a checkup for spiritual health? How do you know that you're spiritually healthy? Why don't we just start with that question?
1: Well, Paul told the Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, you know, prove yourselves to see if you're in the faith. And I think there are just some honest questions Every Christian needs to ask himself or herself from time to time and to see if we're really in the faith. And I think what that means, the phrase in the faith means we're trusting God and we're growing in relationship with him. We're growing in our trust and our dependence upon him. I think that's what that's talking about there. You know, it may it may refer to the faith, which is the gospel and the Bible and all that kind of stuff. But I think it has to do with our relationship. Now, you know, uh, I'll, I'll just give you some questions. One may be, do you depend upon the Lord more or less? Do you trust him more or less? Or do you trust him the same? Do you worry more or worry less? Do you worry at all? Um, do you um, see him working in your life? How is he working in your life? So there's all kind of questions you can ask yourself. Are you ashamed to to tell others about him? Or or do you tell others about him? Do you feel saved? Do you feel lost? Um, Do you feel like the Lord's not providing for you? Do you think God's not hearing your prayers? I think there's a lot of questions like that we can ask. Sometimes we can ask others and just say, be totally honest with me. You know me pretty well. You've heard me speak. You've heard me teach. You've heard me talk about things. Uh, you've heard, you heard me talk about my physical health and my family. And, uh, I think about, uh, the necessities of life. What, what do you think? Be just totally blunt with me. Do you think I'm, I'm more like Christ or less like Christ or to have more faith or less faith? You're usually a good, a good Christian friend, male or female will tell you, your spouse will tell you, your mom tells me. Yeah. And, uh, so that's very, it's very, it's kind of, um, you know, it's very humbling, but it's very helpful. And that, that's what you won't help. I won't help. I want to improve. I want to grow. I want to develop. And there are days we all have setbacks. But for the most part, we just need to be asked questions to be honest or ask people ask us questions to be honest. And maybe maybe a good Christian counselor could help in this area as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, I jotted down a few things that you just said, and I, I imagined the things you just said appearing on a one page physical report. Like I get from my doctor every year. He just, right. he gives me this sheet of paper and it's got all of these statistics on it. And, um, you know, LDL, HDL, cholesterol, blood sugar, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, the first two things you, you said were trust. How, how much do I trust God? Uh, and you said something like, how much am I trusting God? So the I N G on the end of trust, uh, made that an action verb. That's a, that's something that I'm doing. How much am I trusting God? So that would imply the decisions that you're making every day. Uh, the things that you're doing every day, do they show that you trust God or not? The second thing you said was worry. How much do I worry? Um, And that one seems like an easier one to measure because (laughs) we can feel worry in our bodies. I mean, worry is, is, is palpable. I mean, you can feel it in your chest. You can feel it on your skin. You can feel it in your joints. Like when you're worried, you know, it has a physical uh, feeling that comes over you. And so, you know, whether that's a strong feeling or not, you know, whether you're getting enough sleep or if you're, you're tossing and turning. And then you, you said a few other things like, you know, seeing God working in your life, uh, for example, um, asking others what they see when they listen to you and watch you. Uh, so you gave us a, you gave us a few vitals there on spiritual health. When you look at, let's just imagine for a minute, that uh, when you started in ministry in 1975, after your first year in ministry, so January 1976, let's say you go to a, a doctor who gives you a, a, a checkup on your spiritual health, um, what kind of spiritual health report do you think you would have gotten after that first year in ministry?
1: I think I would have got a pretty good report. How come? Well, even though I was young and naive, uh, still very ignorant and immature, uh, I was really deep into studying the word and reading the entire word and also really deep into prayer. And I I was very dependent upon God because I was so young and so naive and so ignorant. And so unprepared for what I was called to do. So from that standpoint, you know, um, you know, uh, to get a good report, you don't necessarily necessarily have to be super, super spiritual or super mature spiritually. But if you have that humble heart and you're seeking and you're growing and developing, I think that's what I think that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and dependence upon God. God is the source of every, every good and perfect gift. And we need him 24-7. And if we think we don't, then we're going to get, we're headed for trouble. So I, I think, I think, I think I would get a good report. You know, can I, can I, I, I think I would get a good report and and I think well, I would be uh, uh, exhorted to continue and to add some other things as well.
0: Yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember when we heard. talked yeah. about uh, your first two or three years in Akron, Ohio, at mm-hmm. uh, the West Side Church of Christ, you talked about how much you studied like how much time you spent studying and you said you did that because you didn't actually go to college to to be a pulpit minister you went to college to be a church education director and so uh you suddenly had a job where you were preaching and teaching every week that was never part of the plan um and so you just talked about how much you were reading, how much you were studying, how much you were praying in those days. Um, how much did you worry, though? Let me ask you this. If we go back to the, those first two words you gave me. You know, tell me about your trust level and your worry level in those early days ministering uh, in Akron, Ohio. I
1: really don't. Uh, remember a whole lot about worry I'm sure I did I'm sure I was anxious about what people thought of me and thought of my work mm-hmm. um, we we had a very comfortable situation there so far as housing and income and we were loved and valued dearly um, I think some of the worry started coming after children started coming but even then we I didn't, I didn't worry a whole lot we were well taken mm-hmm. care of and um, I don't think Satan had attacked me with that malady as, as yet. But um, I'm just sitting here thinking, I may have worried, but I sure don't remember it. Um, there was one time when I was worried and that's when a, the blizzard came in 78. It just scared me to death. And I was afraid for my life and I was afraid for, the, for your life and the life of your mom. It was a, That was the year Uh, Michelle was born. I remember, but that was right before she was born. It was it was a terrible snowstorm, and that that scared me because I'd never seen anything like that before. I don't think the people at North had ever seen anything like that before either. How many feet of snow was that? I'm thinking like forty or so, maybe more. Forty inches. Forty inches, not forty feet, but forty inches. But just the wind blew sideways the temperature was below 100 below 0 the wind chill factor was below 100 below and it was dangerous if you got out you'd it kill you
0: yeah our
1: electricity yeah. went out and our heat went off and it was a tough time but but I really don't I really don't remember worrying i just i just was uh, enjoying all the friendships we had there and all the fun we were having there the people were just delightful people and uh, we had a we had a good working relationship and uh, you know, I just you know, just there was just no worry at that time. There maybe there was, but I, nothing like what that would come later. What
0: about 1980? Mm-hmm. So jump jump to the year
1: 1980.
0: Okay. What what would your spiritual checkup reveal that year?
1: Every year at the beginning of the year, I set goals for myself. It's kind of some goals for the church, even though basically the goals that I set were for me for my preaching for my teaching for my work for my for myself uh your mother and i would set goals for the family and so forth and so on 1980 i can't remember exactly what happened but i i'm pretty sure 1980 is 80 1980 rolled around and started i was thinking about uh the thing we talked about you know 25 or 26 programs ago about how the church was spending the money I still wasn't happy with that yeah and I thought well what am I what am I going to do about that let's see if if something changes and that's probably 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 when I started doing my writing and did my talking to the leadership and then uh, it all came to a head because it came to a head pretty quick and I had to pack up they didn't fire me but I had to pack up I had to get get out of there pretty quick and I'm sure that was a part of the issue. And uh, so far as worry is concerned, I don't think I was worried. Probably should have been in a way because I ended up going to Caddis, Ohio, which was not a healthy thing for anybody. Um, but I don't I really don't remember worrying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I may have worried about not finding a place and not having any place to go. That was that was a great concern. Yes, yes, yes. Word worry, was the, go
0: ahead. I was gonna say, Was there a difference? So, in 1980, you'd been in ministry for five years at that point, yeah. And Akron, Ohio, really had been very good, oh, and yeah. until you had the disagreement with the elders, and yeah. um, and you had to leave uh, halfway yeah. through that year. But at that point, you had five years of experience, yeah. How had your Bible study and prayer? Changed from the time that you started in '75 to the time when you left Akron in 1980.
1: I don't think it changed a whole lot. What I was still very idealistic, Mm -hmm. and I was running. I was running on that idealism, and I, and I, I had. I I believe things explicitly. My faith in God was kind of explicit. Um, My convictions about things were very explicit, uh, giving is giving of, uh, money to the church and will the church spin it? I was very strong on that, very strong, maybe over the top. And, um, that, that just, that, to me, that came from study. I came from, you know, you know, God can do the impossible and God can do beyond what we ask or think. And God wants us to give and God wants us to support missionaries and, support church work and things like that and that's what his will is and so I was I felt very I had a strong faith or a strong conviction on all those issues and that's what and I I think those issues came to a head because I studied because I was I was growing in knowledge I wasn't growing in maturity that's for sure that's pretty obvious but I, I thought I was right on this Course,
0: Do you think wisdom, maturity and wisdom are important measures of spiritual health?
1: I think so, but I'm not sure how you measure wisdom. Yeah. I think, some, I think someone else has to point out that to you. Point that out to you.
0: I know that some of the times where I felt the strongest convictions uh-huh. were also some of the times that I didn't feel my healthiest okay and the the strength of those convictions or the way that i express those convictions and the way that i obsessed over them sometimes i know i didn't actually didn't feel very good uh, while having them okay um so you when you left akron and you went to cadiz and you spent that year in excuse me that year in cadiz what do you think your spiritual re- report card would have your or, or I should say not report card. Your spiritual, your know, your doc your, your doctor gives you a report after a spiritual checkup. What what would that report reveal at that time in your life?
1: He would probably say uh, you're pre you're, you're probably too preoccupied with going to graduate school, and you're too preoccupied with the inner workings of this church some of the relationships in this church and so uh i think my personal faith started to take a back seat there so anyway yeah I, i'm I yelling at I the dog it.
0: and interviewing you at the same time
1: that's okay i don't think the doc, i don't think a spiritual doctor would be very happy with with me i think he yeah. i think he would have said you're you're slipping here
0: mm-hmm. Why did the slippage start? What, what do you think it was that caused you to, to start slipping a little bit?
1: First th- the first thing that comes to mind is that uh, Akron was the perfect place for a young preacher to start. And the people loved us, and we had everything we needed. Uh, there was no was no There was no, no, dis- no strong disagreements. Uh, everybody seemed to be happy. everything was going along fine and good. then I messed up and made a change. Uh, and then cat is Ohio. and this is not this is not a slam on the people because the people there are sweet. they're God's people. but it just tended to be just the opposite. I'm not saying the people there were critical, even though some were. Um, they didn't like the fact that I was educated. they didn't like personal evangelism, but Cadiz seemed to be just the opposite. We lived in an older house. I had an office that was older, and about a third of what, a fourth, about what I had in Akron. I, just to be blunt, uh, uh, we really did not feel loved or accepted there. Uh, and you know, that could, that's you know, we'll, we'll take some of the blame for that. We'll, maybe we'll take all the blame for that. But just I told your mom later, as time went along, that Cadiz, which is kind of the opposite of Akron. And so, you know what? Do, what do you do with that? You know what do you? How do you handle that? <clears throat> and that's where your. That's where your. That's where your faith kicks in, and you trust God, and say, God, I don't know what's going on, but we trust you to get us through this, and learn what you want us to learn, help us to draw closer to you, help us not to doubt you, and that's and that's kind of how we felt. But but my faith is, was kind of, I, I I've never thought of that, about this until you asked the question. That is, did our faith, did my faith wane? And I think probably it did. I got busy going to grad school uh, and hanging out with other preachers who were going to grad school, and because uh, I wasn't wasn't happy with my work there in Caddis. And well, that that was a Boy, that was an that was an attention getter for me. I mean, the Lord got my attention, and as time as things got just a little bit worse and worse, that's when the prayer kicked in even more. In other words, or this is this doesn't seem to be working. What do you want us to do? And then it kind of came to a head, and your mother says we need to make a change, and I, I agreed with her. Mm-hmm. God, God was working in, in us and through us even then. But at the beginning, I, I'd say my faith was, you know, I had a, a good faith, but it wasn't what it, it wasn't a growing faith. Then I got involved with doing a radio program and uh, supporting gospel meetings in the area, working hard at CADAS, visiting people in CADAs all the time, uh, going to grad school, uh those are the main things we did. I spent time with you kids. We we got out of town quite a bit, as much as we could. Um and that and, and that, you know, just my personal faith, my personal relation with the Lord was not a big thing anymore. It wasn't that big a thing. It, it wasn't what it should have been. Let's put it that way. That's probably the best way to word it.
0: Well, it never is what it should be, but no, never is. I imagine that, that a big part of the change is that when you started in ministry in 1975, you didn't have any kids. And I mean, I wasn't born yet and Michelle wasn't born yet. And uh, anybody who is a parent knows how much time you have how much time it turns out that you actually had before kids were were born right (laughs) you
1: know
0: i know right so i mean tracy and i talk about sometimes the things we used to do before daniel was born and we would much rather have daniel but it's like wow we had a lot of time back then so when you started in ministry in 1975 you didn't have any kids yet uh you didn't actually know how to do it so you had no preconceived um idea of what I should be doing you just prayed and studied your way into it so five years later uh 1980 uh you had two kids um in a family and you were in a situation where uh, it sounds like you were working as hard as you ever work when you when you work with a congregation and then you added grad school on top of that so let me ask you then Apart from the usual stuff, like having a family, what contributed to your uh, relationship with God slipping and not being what it should be? What are some specific changes that you, you made in those five years that took away from uh, what you had been doing before to have a relationship with God?
1: The, the difference between is an Akron – would be the graduate graduate school, going to graduate okay. school. Graduate school required travel. Mm-hmm. It required time away from caddis or away from home. It required study. It re- required a lot of reading. Uh, it re- required a lot of writing. Now, everything I did in grad school, I used in the ministry. So it wasn't like I was stealing from the church so I could educate myself because it, the church benefited from it. And the church in Ashland later on would benefit from it even far greater. But I got I just got so busy with grad school, going to grad school, being at grad school, studying for grad school, writing for grad school, um, paying for grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, uh, and then I didn't want to neglect you kids. Didn't want to neglect your mom. But something had something had to give somewhere, you know. And the elders and cat is expected me to do things. Well, I did them. I preached twice on Sunday, taught two classes, probably taught three classes. Um, did the radio program, um, visited a lot of people. This was an older congregation, and we got out there. And of course, I part of my job was I worked with the youth. I was kind of like a youth minister to these kids, to the teenagers in the congregation. And so we had that going on. That was a completely different thing. And I think, I think we did a pretty good job in that area with devotionals and being in people's homes and having activities and doing a little bit of travel with that. But I was a busy guy. And, and we, when I got busy, I just let some things go. And, and this is not just true with preachers or me, but I think sometimes what most of us do is we let the Lord go. We just kind of put him on the back burner, and we, we'll we say, we'll get back to him later, and we'll get back to you, Lord, later. And we, our intentions are good and pure, but you can't do that. You can't do that. And I would, I would not do that again.
0: Yeah. yeah. I uh, I just got to say something about grad school real quick, um, mm-hmm. because my one-year grad school was a time that was – formative for me spiritually. And now when I look back on it, it was one of the most spiritual times in my life, even though it was really challenging and it didn't feel good sometimes. Um, And since I stopped pursuing my graduate degree, I've been trying to figure out how to get back and how to finish it um, because it was really rich. But while I was there in graduate school, there was a time where I realized that I was doing a lot of study, you know, of the Bible, right? But it was all for grad school and sermon and lesson prep for the church where I was ministering, yeah. and there was none, none of that was happening for me, right? Like I wasn't reading the Bible every day, right. just as yeah. uh, devotional practice. So. I don't want anybody listening to this to think, Oh, grad school is bad because we do come from a a Christian tradition that is suspicious of education. And I want to say that I am a proponent of education um, and the good that it can do the church. Right. And I, I think you're saying the same thing, but what I want to clarify is I hear you saying that during that time, then you, that you were in grad school and continuing to preach and teach that Bible time and prayer time and devotional time became more about, uh, getting assignments turned in, getting a sermon preached on Sunday, you know, getting a Bible story read to the kids and and getting them in bed and that your personal practice for your own spiritual health went on hold.
1: Right. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So when did you graduate from grad school? may of 70 No, may of
0: 87 87 so you were doing grad school for about seven years
1: it took forever to get just an ma yeah. and uh yeah. took about five took about five years okay
0: now. okay um i remember your graduation i remember being there in uh, yeah. montgomery alabama right Yep, that's right yep montgomery alabama yep. that was sick as a dog that day that was a miserable really? day <laughs> Yeah, i was so you didn't know You were graduating, but man, I was, uh, that was a terrible day. Um,
1: what what were you sick with? Do you know?
0: I just had some kind of crud. Oh, I felt terrible. Had to ride all the way down there from Nashville and,
1: you know,
0: sit through the graduation and I'm right back, man. I felt terrible that day. But, uh, so 87, you graduated by then you were in Ashland. Cadiz was, was behind you. Yeah. So now when we look at your, your time in Ashland, Ohio, Almost 23 years. What period of time in Ashland would you say you were at your peak spiritual health?
1: I would say at the beginning, I had learned a, a very hard lesson going to Caddis, and uh, I still was in grad school, but I still think uh, my time my spending time with the Lord was still a, a, a priority. I had some sermons to fall back on. And so I did that, but, um, uh, I think it was then, I think it was early, early, early on 1981, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know when, but we'll talk about that as time goes along here.
0: That's, that's interesting because when you started in, in Akron, we've talked about this now in two conversations, Uh you said something to the effect of, I didn't know what I was doing. So yep. I had to study, I had to pray. Uh, you talked about how you sought out other ministers and asked right. them for advice uh, right. when you were in Akron. When you landed in Cadiz, you did not want to be there. Uh, you immediately knew that's not where you wanted to be. You made a three-year commitment, but you were already trying to figure out how to get out and yeah. or two-year commitment. Um, and so, you know, when you fall into a really hard Situation like that, you know, what do we do? We pray, you know, God, get me out of here, right? You yeah, you search yeah. the scriptures for for hope. Ashland though, so Akron was I don't know what I'm doing. This isn't what I planned.
1: An ideal you know, situation.
0: I'm but I, uh, I got to do this right. The cat is was I don't want to be here. I don't know how I got here. How do I get out of here? And then Ashland started out great. We've we've talked about that in previous episodes about the the hospitality of the people and the energy of the congregation and how hard people worked and how much they wanted you there and and what a great town Ashland is and coming from Cat is the worst experience of your life maybe um, to Ashland had to feel like you were you know pinch me I'm dreaming so my question is um, your spiritual health seemed, uh, at the first two stops seemed to grow out of, uh, I need you, God. I, you know, yeah. there, I need something from you that I don't have in and of myself. Yeah. Ashland, those started off great and started yeah. off strong. And there were yeah. a lot of reasons to be hopeful. Uh, you mentioned just now I already had a bunch of sermons. So, you know, and you had been ministering for six years. So you had some experience, what was the difference, if that was, if that was your spiritual health peak in Ashland, the early '80s when you first got there? Um, what was it that made that period the peak of your spiritual health in Ashland? And I, I set you up this way because the first two places it seemed to be you felt need, right, and you leaned on God to meet that need, right. Same thing in Ashland, or was it a different situation?
1: Well, I felt I needed him. I didn't want to make the same mistakes I'd made before. I was a lot more grateful for what I had in Ashland because I'd been through a difficult time. I knew I knew how, how the, I knew how the other half lived, and so it, it was. Ash, Ashland was really a time of um, not much, not as, not necessarily self-examination as much as just appreciation and thanksgiving. And I saw potential there. I I, I stopped, I really stopped praying for me and I started, the focus became the church and I wanted the church to, I saw tremendous potential there. And uh, I'm a great advocate of spiritual and numerical growth. And I wanted the church to grow. So a lot of the prayers were for the people and for the future of the church and for the growth of the church. I don't think those prayers were wasted. I think they were answered, but um, somehow I took myself off the list. There were times when I I felt a need for prayer more than others. I I don't want to leave the impression I never prayed. That's just not true. I don't want to leave the impression that I prayed every minute of every day either. It was somewhere in the middle. There were times when I'd just get off to myself and just pray, uh, I was not studying anything to feed myself spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that That's really my fault. I could blame a lot of different people for that. Well, I wasn't taught. I could blame people and say, well, I wasn't taught that in school. Well, that maybe should be taught in school, but um, I had enough common sense. I knew that was important. You know, because we that's something we preach and teach on all of our lives. And we hear it all, all of our lives in the Churches of Christ. Study the Bible. Study the Bible. Pray every day. Um, but I was still on the learning curve there. And so I just, it just, there, the prayers were different. The prayers probably were not as much for me as they were for the church. I wanted the church to do well for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, it did, but I wasn't, I was, I wasn't being fed and that was my fault. No one's responsible for that except ultimately me. And I think that's true with every Christian. But I was busy feeding everybody else. And that yeah. that kind of snowballed over the next 22 years.
0: Yeah. Um, I agree and disagree with what you just said. Okay. Where I agree that we are each responsible for ourselves uh-huh. and the choices that we make. Right. Nobody, but you made the choice to uh, not uh, seek to be fed. Right? Um yeah however uh you did have shepherds right and the shepherds are responsible for the care and feeding of the flock and you're a member of the flock while you were talking just now uh you know last week when we visited with mom Mm -hmm. and she talked about when y'all landed in counseling Mm -hmm. that first day and you went down there um and mom said to the counselor you know this congregation has 300 members and i feel like i'm number 301 right right yeah while you were talking just now i thought to myself that congregation had 300 members if mom was number 301 you were number 301 (laughs) b uh or number 302 um So, what I what I heard you saying is that you devoted yourself. Devote is the root word of devotional. And us Christians, we most often use the word devotional to refer to time that we set aside every day to be with God in in whatever way that we we know to be with God, Bible study, prayer, meditation, worship. You you devoted your energy. To uh, praying for the church, yeah. and you devoted your your energy and time to studying for the church. Right. What I hear you saying is you didn't devote anything to yourself, to much, putting yourself in a position to let God or anyone else feed you spiritually.
1: Yep,
0: and it yep. sounds like that was a habit from the get go. You're saying yep. that. That was a choice you made from from day one in Ashland.
1: Um, kind of sounded that way a little bit. If you go back to 1975, the 1975 and 1980 was, I need to present lessons that are good. And some of that was because I want to have good lessons because I want the people to grow, but also I want to keep my job. By the time I got to Ashland, it was. I want this church to grow. I want this mm-hmm. church to grow not only numer- uh, spiritually, I want it to grow numerically. And so I just started reading everything and studying everything I could to improve in the different areas of service. And there was, you know, basically very little, if anything, there for me to study that would improve my relationship, in the, relationship with God and my dependency upon him. And... It, it came back to get me
0: yeah
1: took several years for it to come back and get me but it did how much they're a lot more effective if i'd changed earlier just Go to ahead.
0: be gracious to you though dad at that time in the church of christ fellowship how much positive modeling did you really have among ministers for self-care and nurturing their spiritual lives I mean, we've talked a little bit about the influence that your dad had on you in what you, what you did as a minister. I mean, your dad was the role model and the example that you had around you your whole life for how to do ministry. Right. I'd mentioned last time we talked that I was shocked to learn that a minister would put his family before the church. So. You had a lot of preacher friends back then. Were they making the same mistakes that you were making? If hey, they, you know, well I'll I'll worry about my own spiritual health, you know, when I retire. You know, my job right now is to get this church, you know. Were or were you an outlier? Were were they saying, "Hey Travis, you need to, hey man, you need to spend some time with God for yourself." What kind of role modeling did you have with other ministers?
1: That's something we didn't discuss interesting not at all not at all not that i not that i remember what it, did you discuss and it and it may have been discussed in a preacher's meeting but if, if it had been i would have thought that's for the other people not for me really uh, we, you know, we, we talked about work we talked about shop we talked about mm-hmm. work you know how things are what are you doing what are you preaching on give me some ideas um uh, what kind of problems do you, are you facing um there was just none of this um uh, How's your marriage? Uh, how how much time do you spend with your kids? What do you do with your kids? Uh, how much time? Do, what do you do for devotionals? How is, how do you improve your personal walk with the Lord? Um, that sounds horrible. That just wasn't of of wasn't top of my list. On top of my list was I was always, always trying to get a handle on what I was doing every day. So visitation. Hmm. Mm-hmm. lesson prep lesson presentation new ideas uh trying, trying try to be on the cutting edge of what was going on try to keep up with what was what was going on in the church that wasn't very pleasant and wasn't very good with all the false doctrines that were going around and stuff like mm-hmm. that so my time was just crammed full of all this stuff all this data and that's i just you know it's part of part of that is my personality and I thought this would, if I can just get this data and understand this data, then I could I could fix just about anything. And in the meantime, I was I was I was like a battery that was running down. And I was running down very slowly, but I was running down. I was running out of energy.
0: So if you started out in Ashland in 1981, at hundred your battery was at a hundred percent in nineteen eighty-one at what point do you think your battery dropped to 75% 75
1: in Ashland yeah um probably 19 probably 1990 95 98 somewhere in there
0: okay so that's pretty good actually so if i think it is that, if you showed up in 81 and you're saying your battery dropped below 75% for the first time in 1998. That's, that's a 17 year run where you're saying, I felt like my spiritual health was pretty good, right? Nobody runs at a hundred percent all the time, but for 17 years, I'd say my, my spiritual health was pretty good. What was it in 1998 ish that caused your, your spiritual health to start to to run down to where, you know, you were dropping below 75%.
1: There was, there was two or three things. One was there was, there was more ministry to do more ideas to do. Uh, You know, financial peace is a great ministry. We did financial peace. I did financial peace, Um, Mm -hmm. started a singles ministry. I did the singles ministry. Um, There's several things we added and uh, a campus ministry at Ashland University did that, plus all the stuff that I normally did anyway. So I was putting more on my plate. And of course, that requires more time and more energy. And I started running that battery down really quick. We also had some situations at church with some individuals that drained my battery, uh, maybe because I allow them to drain my battery. We talked about uh, Joe or whatever his name last, last time, you know, the uh, guy called everybody on the phone and gave me a lot of grief. Then we, we had, you know, two or three situations like that. And that just drained the battery. That took all the fun out of what I had been doing. And the people were kind of frustrated and discouraged and afraid. And so was I, just to be honest with you. And so, you know, you, you put all that together. And it's just, a, it's the perfect storm. To, because you're you have more things pulling on the battery and your energy supply and you're not putting anything in place of it. And you're doing more counseling and, and helping more people. And before before long, it's just there's nothing left. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing left. I also lost, you know, I, I did a lot of funerals for a lot of people in Ashland. And then two or three of my closest friends in Ashland died. And that just really that really hurt. That really uh, wasn't angry with God. Nothing like that. It's just when they were gone, it just took the wind out of my sails. And I kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing, but one day it caught up with me. Mm-hmm. The body and the mind said, "No, no, you got to stop."
0: When, um, well, let me let me ask you this real quick. So, when your battery, you're, we're talking about your spiritual health, right? So you felt like your spiritual health was, was pretty good for about 17, 18 years, around 1998. You said that's the first time where your spiritual health started to, to deplete and not recharge. Um, You started to drain it. Um, Did anything change about your, your spiritual disciplines your personal spiritual disciplines at that time okay so that's a really important question was there any change you've talked about the change in your activities and you talked about the change in your circumstances and what was going on in the congregation but did you change any of your personal spiritual disciplines around that time
1: yep they were they were pretty much squeezed out that's what so happened so you stopped Stop. Stop. Uh, here's here's how here's my here, here was here was my way of reasoning. In other words, I'm studying the Bible. Of course, I was studying the Bible for everybody else. Studying the Bible for seniors, college kids, financial peace, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, Sunday morning Bible class, Bible studies on Tuesday on Thursday nights. I was, I was studying, and I thought, well, what I need, I'll get through studying. But the studying was not for me; it was for everybody else. And that's just, you know, at the time I thought, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I'm studying the Bible more than anybody else probably in the world right now, with all the different classes and ministries I'm in. So, sure, I'll benefit from it. Well, you know, that sounds good, but it it doesn't work that way. Uh, And then the other thing is the prayers. The prayers just weren't as as long or as deep as they as, as they once were. Did I pray for things? Oh, absolutely. Bible studies, uh, these special classes, absolutely, absolutely. Some of those prayers may have become more super superficial uh, than uh, deep, deep and wide, as the case is. And so as a result, I'm running out of juice, and I don't even know it. I mean, I'm just a real foolish person.
0: Did you feel a corresponding increase in worry at that time? That when I asked you at the beginning of our conversation, what would be the vital signs for spiritual health? The first two things you said are trust. I how much do it. I trust God? And then how much do I worry? Did you notice that your worry started to increase?
1: Well, I worried about losing my job. This is when I became preoccupied with my job. I, I was doing all these things and I thought, well, this will guarantee that I keep my job. But I worried about my job. And, uh, uh, and I became frustrated, I became angry. And the last thing I became was apathetic. And, um, but there was a lot of frustration, a lot of disillusionment, a lot of anger. Um, uh, I, was not, I was not enjoying things anymore. Sometimes that, sometimes I equated doing a lot of stuff as being enjoyable and being what I needed to be doing. That's just not the case.
0: Yeah. And that started around the late nineties.
1: Yep. 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 Yep.
0: I've always known you to be anxious and high strung. Right. No offense. Personality. Personality. I've always known you to be anxious and high strung and restless. Um, so I think there was always some, kind of low-grade worry about your job security. You talked about it before when we talked about is and that entire uh, series of, of conversations that we had, you know, you were worried about providing for your family. and um, so worrying about your job at that time had more to do with, uh, I live in a preacher's house, and if they fire me and I get kicked out, where's my family going to live? How am I going to take care of my my kids? Those are the kinds of things that people do worry about. They're normal. Uh, but by the late 1990s in Ashland, Ohio, you had been uh, you'd been there for a long time. I mean, at that point, we were all like family, or at least I felt like we were like family. The church had grown uh, so much at a time when church of Christ congregations nationwide were shrinking and you were getting ready to launch a a building campaign. So many things were going right to anybody on the outside. So why did you become so intensely worried about your job security at that time?
1: Um, you got me, I, I heard, I heard little tidbits here and there about, um, my work, and I heard some criticism, basically from the leadership. Just little, just little things, and so that kind of worried me. And instead of facing facing what was said and discussing what was said, I held it in and I kept it to myself, and I I obsessed over it. And but the thing about it, I re- received a ninety-eight or ninety-nine percent approval rating from the membership at large. So you know, you know, it's just fault, it's just faulty thinking, faulty reasoning on my part. Uh, but the the you know we bought uh, we had bought uh, a couple of three houses uh, some of you uh, you kids were in college uh, there we were middle class, and we had expenses, and we had mortgages, and we had car notes, and we had this, and we had that, and college tuition to pay, and so, you know, that added to the security, the feeling of security, and the, the worry, And you know, I was, if I lost my job, then I, you know, I'd lose my house, my kids I had to get out of school, um, you know, but to sell the cars, and all kind of stuff like that. And I, and I didn't, I didn't also didn't want to uh, be perceived as a failure. And that, that became, I became obsessed with that. And that was wrong, definitely wrong.
0: So at that time, when you were worried about all of the necessities of life, how did you feel about preaching and teaching things like uh, do not worry? about what you'll eat, what you'll wear, you know, consider the, consider the birds of the air and the grass, of the fields, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you as well. Um, you know, surely you heard and spoke those teachings of Jesus Christ at this time in your life where you were worried constantly about losing everything. I mean, how did you, how did you think about Teachings like those at that time in your life,
1: you thought they applied
0: to everyone, but you, or did you have some real dissonance inside or did you, were you finding it hard to believe that they were true?
1: Well, worry can be taught, taught in academia form. In other words, it's, it's facts. You know, you teach it in academia. This is what, you know, we're doing a series of lessons on the book of Philippians. Okay, great. So you get down to Philippians four, four through seven, and you state the facts so that's one way. The other way is to uh, is to turn it over to the Lord. One night when you pray, you turn it over to the Lord. And the next morning you wake up and you take it back away from the Lord. In other words, you let it go and let him take care of it. You experience peace for about five minutes or maybe five hours. The next thing you know, you've taken, you've taken the burden back. You've taken mm-hmm. it away from him. And that's what I tended to do. Uh, I I was kind of, I was kind of proud of the times when I did have the piece of Pratt that I had the piece that surpasses uh, comprehension as per Philippians four, six and seven and eight. But I, I would not, I would not let your mother would say, let this thing go. Don't go back. Don't pick it up again. The Mm -hmm. Lord's got it. One of my favorite passages is casting your cares upon him for he cares for you. Well, I'd cast my cares on the Lord, but then I would, take them back the next day or take them back a week later. And um, that's just a lack of faith and a lack of a lack of maturity and a lack of relationship and with the Lord. And so mm-hmm. that's what I did. And it just caught up with me.
0: We've touched on this before. I think we identified it in um, in a conversation that we had about mm, maybe, Uh, the leadership at the church at the time but it sounds to me you're number one on your list of spiritual vital signs that you gave at the beginning of this conversation today is trust yeah it sounds like your fundamental problem yeah was a trust problem yeah um you trusted god you taught other people to trust god right but you didn't trust him yourself and you didn't trust the people at the church to enough to believe that they would care for you mm-hmm. or want you if you weren't perfect, mm-hmm. if you weren't hyperactive. You didn't trust the shepherds there mm-hmm. with the care and feeding of your soul. Where do you think this fundamental problem with trust came from for
1: you? I think it goes back to... Uh, my concept of God. I came. I came from a. I came from a background where God was. Uh, God was. Uh, against me, not for me. Hmm. Uh, God was. Somewhere. God was all powerful. He was all holy. He was all righteous. God was our judge. God didn't tolerate sin. Um, god was angry with me and i I grew up grew up with these concepts in my mind god was hard to please had to do everything just right and so i grew up with all these concepts in my mind and uh you know some of it went away but the the hardcore part of it stayed and so i probably felt within my mind that there's nothing i could do uh I could never really please him. And so, and, and then, then why should I even try to get close to him? If he's that, if he's that kind of God, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so he expected the impossible. I couldn't deliver. How could I face him? How could I even talk to him? I could only talk to him when I was desperate. Um, and I, I think, I think that, um, I think that, Concept and image of God has changed over the years; has gotten better, but I still have to deal with it. I still have to deal with some false things that I have in my conscious, my subconscious about God. It's hard.
0: It is hard. It is hard. Those those ideas that we form when we're young they don't they don't ever really truly go away. You just learn how to think about them different. Right. So it sounds to me like. You know, there is the the time that we take for ourselves. Like mom has always been very good about getting up two hours before everyone in the family and sitting alone with her Bible and reading her Bible and praying and writing and thinking deeply. And I do the same thing. I, I learned that I think from mom, you know, yep. so yep. you know, quiet time is what some people call it. Um, and that's taking care of ourselves right that's right that is opening ourselves up and making ourselves available to the spirit of god uh, nurturing us and um, you weren't doing that oh. um, by by the time you got to the late 90s which is when the congregation to the outside looked like it was at its most healthy and strongest and successful you weren't you weren't making space in your life for that. Um, And it sounds to me like there was nobody in your life who was caring for you and feeding you. You had preacher friends, but you said that when you got together with your preacher friends, you talked shop. Right. Right. So the, the technical aspects of, you know, how to minister to a church uh, or how to deal with, you know, the latest controversy in our, our fellowship. Um, I mean, were you making your? Were you vulnerable and open to anyone uh, being your shepherd, shepherding you spiritually at that time in your life?
1: Probably not. um, Maybe one or two people, but my my feeling was I I didn't want to bother people, but I didn't want people to know Hmm. how I really is. That
0: why. I don't know if this is the same time, but is that why when mom went to the elders and told them that you needed a sabbatical and then the elders came to you and asked you if you you needed a sabbatical, you told them no?
1: I don't remember the second part of that story where they came to me and asked me if I needed a sabbatical.
0: That's mom's. That's the story that I don't know if you were present when mom told me that story recently. It might have been at Thanksgiving. She uh, and I was curious about that because she she said, I went to the elders and I told them that your dad needed a sabbatical. He needed he needed time to recharge. Right. And she said the elders went to your dad and they asked him if he needed a sabbatical. And your dad said, no, he didn't need a sabbatical. And yeah, that's,
1: that's probably Mom, true because, because I, I denied that I had a problem. Yeah. I didn't think I had a problem.
0: That's not the first time I've heard that story. Mom's told me that two or three times over the years. She's not
1: a liar. She would not make that up.
0: Yeah. So when did your spiritual health battery go below 50%?
1: Starting in starting in two thousand two and two thousand three, okay, two thousand three it just it just tanked, it just it just went down crazy.
0: Was there an ev- an event in your life that caused well, it to crash?
1: What happened is that my job, my jobs, all my tasks. Uh, i used to i used to look forward to my jobs and my tasks and everything I was no longer looking forward to my work i was i was done i was done in my mind i was done um i didn't I didn't enjoy it at all I went into a a different mode a different mode um, is i did and this is gonna sound hypocritical it's gonna sound horrible but i'm gonna say it anyway I went into a mode where I did the things that people most expected of me, and that people would see and would hear. And some of the stuff some of the other stuff I just let go. Now, we could talk all day about what that what those things were, did I do the right thing? But I was trying to find some time. I was trying to find that that margin of time where I could where I could just kind of just kind of relax a little bit or get some rest or get some have some room to breathe to feel better about things, but that that never came, and I just got to the point where I didn't look forward to my job anymore. I got tired of all the meetings. I got tired of, there were some rewards in there, some some rewards in there, but most of it's just work, 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 work. And finally, my mind and my body and my spirit and my emotions just shut down just one day in July of 2003 just the thing just shut down. And I was and I think I think when I was I think I I think I was I think I was on a crash or a collision course definitely in January of 2003. But I but I pretty much laid the groundwork to have it all those years before. Mhm
0: it sounded to me when you were talking about, uh, your spiritual practice, your spiritual disciplines. I asked, I can't remember how I put the question a few minutes ago. To me, it sounded like there was, you were very consistent. It sounds to me like in all of your years in Ashland, you were very consistent in your spiritual discipline practice meaning um it was consistently for your work right and consistently not for you right so when i asked the question about what did you do with the teachings of jesus about worry when you were so obsessively worried yourself, what did it feel like to teach other people not to worry, Uh you know, to believe Jesus, when he promised that, you know, God would provide for all of our needs. What did that do to you to tell other people to do that when you were not capable of doing it yourself? Uh And I wonder this is an invitation for you to to look back on on the habits that you formed in yourself during uh-huh. those twenty three years. Uh-huh. If you had cultivated a personal relationship with God and a spiritual practice, so that your idea of who God is changed over those twenty three uh-huh. years, right? And you came to know God better. Um, so that you didn't have trust issues so that you did believe in the love of God, that God's not looking for reasons to smite you and God is not annoyed that you keep coming around, but that God actually is pursuing you. How might that have changed things? How might that have changed the way things turned out for you in Ashland?
1: Well, well, in one in one sense, we'll never know. But um, I like to think that it would have made things better. Um, God's never changed; He's the same yesterday as He was, same today as He was yesterday. He hasn't changed a bit. He's still a loving, all-powerful God. I, you know, we we'll never. We'll never I, don't, I don't, know, I don't know the answer to that question. I would like to think that I would. It would have been better. But I was I was the problem. And we I've used this phrase before, I was my own was worst, worst enemy and I still am. But uh, I was the problem, not God. I walked away from him. He yeah, didn't walk away from me.
0: Well, let's 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 finish with these two these two questions. Then. Sure. Excuse me. Having been through all of that, uh-huh. um, what do you counsel young ministers now? What would you tell them to do different than you did? And I want you to try to be specific because people who are not in ministry, I don't think they can understand this. I've been there and I understand when you are preparing sermons and lessons, and you're trying to seek more education for yourself and you're ministering to a church, How do you sit down to read the Bible on your own and pray on your own without your mind wandering into work mode? How can you as a minister carve out space and time for a relationship with God when that is your quote unquote job? You've learned the hard way. So I wonder what wise advice you would give to ministers,
1: you have to, look, to anybody, you, have, you know. Yeah, you, you, you have to look at it as an investment in yourself. You've got to love yourself, and you've got to value yourself. And you've got to say this, you are worth it. You need it, but you are, you're also worth it. And, you know, that passage where it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling applies to you as a preacher, as well as it does to anybody else in the church. you've got to find the time you've got to make the time you've got to redeem the time you're going to have to neglect something or someone to in order to feed yourself and, and stop living in fear and uh it may sound like you're being selfish you're not being selfish it's a means of loving yourself and the thing about it is that if you love yourself, a man cannot love his wife properly unless he loves himself. That's what Ephesians five teaches. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of things we could talk about there for sure. But anyway, uh, the, the payoff is that you're healthier, but also the people, uh, the people that you have relationships with your wife and your children, that's a healthier thing. The The relations with people, the church are healthier, but above all you're Relation with with your creator is healthier you feel better about him you feel better about your work you feel better about life you feel better about yourself you know you're and, and sometimes um there's a fine line between devotional study and preaching and teaching study but you got to find it you just got to find it and sometimes preachers get tired of studying and then they don't want to do a devotional because devotionals look too much like study they don't want to study one more thing about god or about the, the bible somehow we, you've got to get past that. you got to pick a day or an hour every day where you spend time just in the word. And that's, that's probably the most for yourself. Mm-hmm. You should be the word for yourself. Listen to God, let him talk to you. And have, have good time for, just for prayer and pouring out in your heart. So far as fasting and, um, uh, uh, you know, there's all kinds of disciplines. Um, Fellowship, worship, sacrifice, suffering—those are—they're important disciplines. They're not maybe as important or as pressing as the first two I mentioned of study and prayer. But you need to—you need to also—you need to also find a, a preacher friend or someone—a mature Christian man. If if you of course if you're a preacher, you will be a man. But you know you you spend time with them and let them hone you and and, and help you and guide you and listen to them. And, uh, and I, I did that towards the end. I did have several people that kept up with me, but it was almost, it was almost too late for me. In fact, it was too late.
0: Um, I gotta say something to, to church leaders, uh, and, and people in congregations, uh, maybe dad, you could, you could say whether or not you agree, but. Um, you mentioned that all of your minister friends at the time, they didn't talk about this at all. And that tells me that the culture in Church of Christ congregations, and we've talked about this before, um, the culture was that this is the way ministers were supposed to act and were supposed to think. And we've talked about how elders in our Church of Christ tradition have been business managers. So they're the joke about the preacher does the work of the elders, the elders do the work of the deacons. You know they manage the business of the church, and the deacons don't know why they're there. That was the joke you told.
1: Yeah.
0: When a when a minister fails, when a when a when an elder fails, um, when their spiritual health breaks, to me that's indicative of shepherds failing to. To shepherd and to keep up the care and feeding of their of their flock right um so i'm not saying this to be critical of the shepherds at the steel avenue church of christ at the time i'm Uh saying it to be critical of the entire culture of our fellowship and at that time which it may be changing now It's,
1: it's getting better
0: but our um i would say that shepherds need to be keenly aware of the spiritual health of their ministers yes and you're right dad as a minister it is your responsibility to take care of yourself but i would say that we are our brother's keepers and so as you're as you're caring for and feeding the people that come to you in the church and we've talked about how many people come to you when you're the minister um shepherds need to be proactive about the care and feeding of their ministers and their families. Right. Um, One of the best things I've ever seen is there's a congregation where I've preached a few times and I'm friends with the staff. They make their ministers go on a sabbatical every seven years. Uh, Every seven years, they have a large ministry team. They have to take, I think a nine month sabbatical. Wow nine month paid sabbatical it's not an option and they're not allowed to stay in town and they're not allowed to come to church there they have to leave and um it's it doesn't even leave it up to the minister to figure it out for himself that he needs a sabbatical it's the and that's actually biblical that they're they're uh they're using the teachings from deuteronomy about how god said let the land rest every seven years the land can't keep producing if you don't let it rest so you got to let the land rest every seven years and so they took that biblical teaching and it's like our ministers we have to we have to make them rest every seven years we got to send them away every seven years and let them rest and they they have a large enough staff that they rotate them (laughs) so there's always a minister out every year on on sabbatical um so you, you mentioned that you think it's changing, but uh, I wonder if, if it's changing fast enough. I mean, how do you think we're doing as a fellowship at being more proactive about the spiritual health of the people that we entrust with preaching and teaching and, and guiding our congregations?
1: Well, what I'm, what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing is that, first of all, preachers are taking more responsibility. Uh, especially as it relates to their families, which is a healthy thing. Preachers are not willing to sacrifice their families, their children, or their marriage for the church. And there, it's, it's not a in-your-face thing. It's its just where they have an understanding with the leadership. And the leadership, from what a little bit I know, most leaderships in churches nowadays are very cognizant of this in other words they want the preacher to spend time with his family they make sure he does when it comes to the the preacher's personal walk and relationship with the lord that i don't hear a whole lot about uh that may be for a lot of different reasons elders don't see the importance of that they don't have that in their own lives i don't know but there's not a whole lot said about that. Sometimes elders are not perceptive enough to pick up on some of the warning signs of that. And so um, uh, and, and the preachers got to cooperate too. And I didn't cooperate. That that was my problem. And so I feel sorry for the elders there at Ash, Ashland. They tried to help in their own way and I, I didn't cooperate. Do you need a sabbatical? No, I mean that's that's not cooperating, that's just lying, is what that is. That's that's a big area. But anyway, um, I think preachers need to be trained about it. I think preachers need to be trained when they're in a training school, whether whether they're Bible majors or they're going to a pre- school of preaching, or whatever they're. Doing. I think they need to be trained how to have devotional yeah. things like that.
0: Yeah. All right, Dad. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for having this candid conversation because I know it's not always easy to talk about. You know parts of your life that, that uh, a lot of people may not know about and haven't known about for many years. Uh, but um, this is each one of us who seeks to follow Jesus. Um, we have a lot competing yeah. for we have a lot of distractions yeah, the for the devotion that we give to him and yeah. our dependence yeah. on, on him. And uh, that is especially true for for ministers and uh the leaders of our congregations and so it's something i think we need to talk about a lot more um and your story is uh it shows how the neglect of one's spiritual life can have consequences not just for that person but for a lot of other people as well so thank you for sharing
1: okay thank you
0: In the next episode, Dad and Mom will talk about the day when Dad knew he could no longer go on as a minister, what downward spiral of choices and events took Dad to his breaking point, and what did hitting bottom look like for him when he got there. If you want me to ask Dad a specific question in that or any other future episode, Please email it to me at bt at btirwin.com. That's B is in Bradley, T is in Travis at btirwin.com. Don't forget to check out Dad's new book, We Are God's Masterpiece, at amazon.com. You'll find a link to that in the show notes. And you'll also find a link to Dad's Caring Bridge website, which is where you can keep up with his cancer treatments. I want to thank you for being part of the Minister in the Making podcast. I hope the last hour and a half was well worth it for you. If you're getting inspiration or wisdom from these podcasts, please share them with an elder, a fellow church member, a minister, or a pastor. And don't forget to leave a good review on whatever podcast service you use so that other people can find it. Until next time, grace and peace, and Merry Christmas.